to the series of International Perspectives on New Retina Radio. This episode is going to be on retinal vein occlusion, exploring practice patterns and opinions on management. I'm Jennifer Arnold, the Director of Marston Eye Research in Sydney, Australia, and I'm joined by two guests, Professor Ramin Tadayoni from the University of Paris. Hello, Ramin. Hello, Jennifer. And uh, Professor Armin Wolf from the University of Ulm in Germany. Very close, I understand, to where Porsche cars come from. Welcome, uh, Armin. Hi, Jennifer. Now, uh, retinal vein occlusion, as we know, is common. In fact, the second most common retinovascular condition after diabetic eye disease. Prevalence about one in every 250 people, with branch vein occlusion being about four times more common than the central. And vision loss in both the short and the long term is common. Um, which is due to macular edema with, and the secondary macular scarring and atrophy, as well as the complications of ischemia, including vitreous hemorrhage and anterior segment neovascularization glaucoma. Now, before we had anti-VEGF therapy, our treatment options were rather limited, particularly for central retinal vein occlusion, and were predominantly just laser photocoagulation, which was used as a macular grid in branch vein occlusions with macular edema which did allow some anatomic improvement, but really only marginal vision gains. In fact, particularly for acute branch retinal vein occlusion, it was unclear whether these gains with laser were better than that from just natural history. And laser, of course, for macular edema, a really common problem, was not effective for central retinal vein occlusion. A peripheral scatter laser was also, of course, used to control and prevent neovascular complications. So anti-VEGF therapy seems to have really changed our standard of care. Uh, how do you found that in your practice, I mean? Well, when I look back at the times of uh, central retinal vein occlusion study or BRVO study, uh, I must admit that the time I spent lasering patients has by far decreased. Um, I do think that um, this is also um, affected just by the fact that not only the way we treat CRVO or BOVO, but also how we diagnose and how we monitor the patients. So instead of doing a lot of laser and doing a lot of angiograms on looking on the ischemic areas of the CRVO or BRVOs, um, we look at the OCT. So the patients are way faster treated and the treatment time is shorter by far. Yes, it's true. The uh, development of OCT really mirrors the use of the anti-VEGF and has revolutionized the way we, we manage them. And what about you, Ramin? Uh, I suppose it's changed your practice as well. Yes, indeed. So you explained how it was before and we know how it is now. So we see a big difference compared to before. Uh, I think when we inject VEGF in the eye of uh, animals, you have some things looking quite closely to central vein occlusion. Some people say diabetic retinopathy, but it looks much more like central vein occlusion. So this is clearly a disease that seems to be very VGF dependent. So it really makes sense that we use anti-VGF and going to the root of the disease finally appears to be the right way. And the results today are incomparable to what it was before the anti-VGF. Yes, it's true, although the, you can't directly compare uh, across studies due to different enrollments, the studies for anti-VEGF have really demonstrated a gain in both sorts of vein occlusions. You know, we're really unheard of, you know, three to uh, nearly five lines gain um, at 12 and 24 months, which uh, compares to around one line uh, 
if lucky, before this. So it's, it's really revolutionised our care. Now, although some baseline factors might uh, impact the final outcome, how much do baseline factors uh, influence your treatment decisions, you know, whether you're going to treat with anti-vegetable or how you do it? I mean, do you, uh, you take out in disease duration into account? Um, I would say no. So basically, everyone is going to be treated. So we just have to think who should be excluded. So the only patient I may exclude are those who have some kind of sign of vein occlusion, but a normal vision that we may have under control and follow-up. Uh, and the other way would be someone coming with a very old vein occlusion that has been untreated for any reason, and we feel that there is no benefit treating them. But in between, I think everyone will be treated with different regimen, with different uh, kind of uh, follow-up, but they will be treated. So, Amin, what about you? What about the presence of ischemia, either in the macula or in the periphery? Uh, does that alter your approach when you're managing people with anti-VEGF? No, um, basically, um, I think what Ramin just said is what, what is the standard of care, because if you have a patient, well, except those patients that do have very long-standing um, RVOs, but um, it is important to start the study fast and effective, uh, the, the, the medication fast and effective. We know that the duration of disease does have an influence on the treatment-free interval or the number of injections that the patient gets in year two, but we are aware that we need to treat the patients early and effective. Now this as well goes for the, the ischemic conditions. Um, there was a long led discussions about ischemic of the retina during anti-VGF treatment and this started off in the first days of off-label use of Avastin. Um, if an anti-VGF would not increase the areas of ischemic retina. Overall, if we look at ischemic retina, we need to differentiate if it's a central and if it's a peripheral retina. Again, at this, looking at this, the imaging has changed. While we look in ultraviolet field imaging of peripheral retina now in a more detailed way, uh, it used to be that we only judge central um, ischemic conditions. Again, ischemic conditions might lead to a under average response of the anti-VEGF treatment effect, but it's not a um, indication or a non-indication for treatment using anti-VEGF treatment. Yes, I think I agree with that. It's uh, really uh, treat practically all the new vein occlusions that have a vision impact and watch closely those ones, uh, the central ones that uh, has not as yet impacted vision because they might uh, progress. But uh, what about when you're treating? You mentioned, Armin, that it's important to start uh, straight away. You don't have a delay of three or six months before watching, before you begin treatment. Do you commence immediately? I would recommend treating immediately because we know as the, if, if the duration is short, especially if it's under six weeks, we have a higher chance of reduced injections at the year two interval in anti-VGF treatments. And Ramin, do you think it's important to be aggressive early on? You know, uh, how do you treat uh, when you've commenced the treatment? I think if there is a decrease of vision, we don't have any real reason not to treat the patients. So in the best condition, let's say that it's going to be finished in two months. So we will stop the treatment in two months. But in between, we, uh, we ensure that patient has the best vision. 
And also, as Armin said, probably treating early have some benefit in terms of prognosis. So I would not wait uh, months just watching patient. Again, maybe I will do it if they have 20-20 vision and I have just signed in the funders. So that's a different condition. But even that, I'm not sure that it's always good to wait. And uh, do you uh, mostly follow the six months of loading phase, treating monthly? Uh, what's your decision on when to uh, start to withhold or to prolong the treatment interval? That's the uh, tricky part. So that's when the subtleties come. So I think I will go with three injection for sure. Uh, that's the, uh, the loading dose, unless very specific cases. But in some cases, I may not go for a monthly for six months. I will go for three and then evaluate after three months the situation. And if needed, I will continue monthly after that. But uh, I will have an evaluation after three injection. I, I feel a lot of benefit of doing this. First is that after three injection, the fundus is cleaned from all the hemorrhages. And that's another effect of anti-VEGF that we find also on diabetes that is sometimes misinterpreted. So the fundus once cleaned, you have a better evaluation of the ischemia if it's a vein, central vein occlusion and you want to have an idea. So it's a good time to make a FA instead of doing at the beginning. That's the, the, the more efficient way to, to do it. And also we see how the vision improve and how the edema uh, evolve. If the edema has fully disappeared, I may go to a short time at least of PRN or something if I think it's a very good prognosis cases or move to treat and extend if I think it's not such a good prognosis. So yeah, the basically I will do three injections, see the patient, and if needed, I will add three more, but I will see the patient in between. Yes, and what about you, Armin, after you've got the good response, do you tend to move to a PRN or a treat and extend on your, your patients then? Well, um, given the, the COVID situation that we were in and the previous um, experience, I try to go for a T&E, um, a treat and extend um, protocol whenever it is possible, because we're just um, reducing the visits for the patients now in the, in the pandemic, but also in the post-pandemic um, situations. I think that is something that we learned from, from, um, from, from the pandemics that we can decrease the, the injector, the visit load by um, applying a treat and extend scheme. And as Ramin puts it, I would um, go for at least three injection. Um, I do have um, a communication with the patient at the first uh, follow, at the first visit, where I tell him to, to be aware of his disease, that it's also a uh, disease that's affecting general health um, and general care medicine. And I tell the patient that there is data that if we do, if we have very good um, response and the retina is flat at six months, we might be able to reduce the treatment burden. But I think that um, it is important to have an open um, strategy with the patients for that, because we are aware that there's a patient's adherence problem also for RVO treatment and anti-VGF treatment. Yes, and they are, I agree, the counselling the patient's essential because this can often be a very long-term uh, uh, problem. Now, in what sort of situations do you find you, you're, you're adding in uh, some adjunct treatment, perhaps in the uh, poor or non-responders? You know, there's been indications that if you've got your central retinal thickness under 250, that's really good. But if it's over that at three months, 
Um, you know, you might continue on monthly, as uh, Ramin said, but do you ever consider adding in an adjunct treatment such as steroids? I, I may, but honestly, I think it doesn't, if, if the anti-VGF is not working in vein occlusion, the probability that steroid doing better in terms of visual acuity is very low. So I don't really believe in this, but I will go to an FA and I will lose laser. So there is two conditions in which laser help. So one is, of course, if you have a lot of ischemia, low vision to prevent neovascularization, that, that's something separate. But the other is that we, in some cases of vein occlusion, you have big aneurysm, capillary aneurysm that really are very exudative and electively just treating them will stop uh, the, the, the edema. So in our experience, we have been quite successful in this. So in cases in which VHF is not able to have the edema disappearing, the first thing I'm thinking about is that there should be some aneurysm, micro or macro uh, aneurysm, and let's uh, make an FA because it's, uh, it still shows better than OCTA, this, this aneurysm, and you see also the exudation, and then treat them electively. That would be my second line. So this is very targeted uh, laser therapy. I, I agree. I find that sometimes very useful, but often in branch veins, for instance, that are many years down the track that have developed some telangiectatic or capillary malformations, which often present then uh, with a lot of exudate and recurrent edema, and they can be very easily controlled with some uh, laser as opposed to recommencing anti-VEGF. So uh, what about the, the role of um, peripheral laser to decrease the... Uh, the anti-VEGF load for macular edema. Are you a believer in that, Armin? I must say that I do believe in it, but uh, apparently it doesn't work. <laughs> um, it is um, apparently because the, all the data that we have um, does show that it's apparently not effective to reduce the treatment effect or the, the injection load. This might be a, uh, because we have not yet found the study protocol to prove this, um, but still, albeit it's not telling me that it works, I'm still not convinced it's not working. But currently, I do not um, view it as an armentum for treating um, irresponsive um, RVO um, patients. I think um, that we have also to be aware that while we have been able to standardize anti-VEGF treatment, standardizing laser treatment is way more difficult. Um, I understand that um, laser treatment in each surgeon's hand is, is different as the laser spots applied the number of um, um, spots. Plus additionally, if we look in the studies, then uh, it's only referred to laser treatment. And sometimes it's not even clarified if it's a central laser treatment, peripheral laser treatment, or if it's a laser treatment of um, retinal vein artery uh, anastom anastomosis. Um, apparently to the data, retinal artery vein anastomos anastomosis seems to be an option to decrease the injection load I am not sure if, if it works in my hand just the same. So currently, the laser for me has a, um, a lower standard for the treatment. I mean, I like very much the, the way you, you say that you want to believe, but the data is not here for the peripheral, peripheral laser. But um, 
sorry, Jennifer, if you allow me to, to, to add a few words on this. Don't you think that if uh, we were, uh, no studies were able to show a benefit, it is uh, that if the benefit exists, it's so low that it will need a super complicated, sophisticated uh, study to show. So basically we don't need to do such a study. Yeah, scientifically speaking, you're completely right. I think there's a point here too that uh, if, in, in my hands, I've noted that if I find the edema dramatically recurs just very close to the time when I'm predicting that the anti-VEGF has left the eye, you know, say they're just under four weeks or one day over and they get back to 1,000 CST, it's a sort of signal to look out for the uh, dense peripheral ischemia, the signs of which could well be masked. Uh, because I have had patients that might be delayed a, a week uh, and they've gone to neovascular complications in central retinal vein occlusion because they really are so ischemic. And in those people, I definitely um, do a paranretinal um, scatter laser to, for, for controlling neovascular complications. And the recurrence of the edema in dramatic form can sometimes be a little sign uh, to look out for it. I, I think you're absolutely right. There is two different ways to look at this. This rapid recurring are usually associated with large peripheral ischemia. But what Armin said that really I, I believe also is that treating this ischemia doesn't improve the macula. So it's not the cause, they are correlated to each other, but it's not the only cause. But you are, very, you are right. I mean, uh, if the recurrence happens very often and shorter than what it was before, especially in central vein occlusion. But also maybe we should remind for those who are younger, the visual acuity is a very good sign of peripheral ischemia. If the visual acuity is 2200 or lower in a vein occlusion, despite uh, injections. The first thing we should check the periphery. Again, it's not the periphery that is causing this, but they are correlated and there may be a lot of ischemia. So it may need being treated because what happens sometimes is that people treat with anti-VEGF. At some point, they need decrease a little bit, they stop it, and then you have iris neovascularization and glaucoma because the periphery was forgotten and it, it appears so clean with time. So low vision many recurrences just should tick in, in our mind that have a look in the periphery to ensure that we are not going to neovascularization. Maybe, maybe I can even comment on that, Jennifer, because um, there is recent data that was published um, and it goes again in direction of non-adherence in RVO. There was a group that looked at um, the patients that were non-adherent and returned uh, in case of pr pr primary non-ischemic RVO. And it's very interesting that a large proportion of these patients, the largest part of the population, re returned into the clinic because they had neovascular complications. So even while they were treated in the first step for a non-ischemic RVO, they were non-adherent to the treatment and uh, they, they, they stopped the treatment early but when they returned, they had neovascular complication. So I do think that if, even if we think, if we do not think of the non-adherence in RBO patient, we underestimate the ischemic condition of the retina while looking at a angiogram um, in an, during anti-VGF treatment. Yes, that's true. And often nowadays we're not doing angiograms at baseline. Don't forget uh, that the non-ischemic central retinal vein can certainly translate to it 
to uh, convert to ischemic. So it might be a point before we're going to extend particularly longer follow-up that we uh, consider an angiogram to establish the state of the retina and how safe they are for this complication. That's an excellent uh, clinical pearl you both have mentioned there. Um, so uh, just before we go, I, I think I'd just like to say we shouldn't forget the systemic health of the patient. Uh, you know, the, the vein occlusion could be an indicator of risk of uh, um, cardiovascular and all-cause mortality. The recent meta-analysis has been published there. So don't forget to uh, make sure that the physical and the general health of your retinal vein occlusion patients is attended to while we're looking after the eye. I think what you're saying is very important because at the beginning, people thought that the vein occlusion comes from general health issues. So for blood pressure, it may be right. For other things, it may not. But now they forget that it's correlated to other also health issues. So once you have this, this is a signal that maybe something is bad. So uh, uh, you're right. It, it would be good to have a GP at least, and maybe some others looking to the patient. <laughs> Those are very wise words, Ramin. Yes. I also think that that this is this is uh, something that should be mentioned in your opening dialogue when you first see the patient, because this is when the patient is more. Uh, is, is the most uh, flexible to um, to what you're saying, and and I think it's a very important point. And if you have the risk, then the patient needs to be uh, looked out afterwards. What I tell the patient very often is um, that while you have a retinal vein occlusion, your risk of a heart infarct or of a um, cerebral um, ischemic attack is the same as if you were having a diabetes. So th this is um, just the contribution of weight to the individual risk. And it's just the same as diabetes. So this helps to understand how important the general medical health issues are in these patients. That's true. And this is a, a moment for intervention when you, when you have them in the clinic where they contact. And uh, we can certainly play a, a role in that for the patient's health. Well, I think that's it for this episode of International Perspectives. I really want to thank uh, you both, Amin Wolf and Ramin Tadayoni, for your excellent uh, conversation. I've greatly enjoyed it. And uh, these podcasts are available on any platform. Um, look for New Retina Radio and subscribe so you don't miss out on this and other uh, episodes from the series of International Perspectives and others. Uh, you can listen, for instance, to a recent one on diabetic macular edema. So for now, it's goodbye from myself, Jennifer Arnold, and the team today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>